Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there. We'll be back with a new episode for you next week. In the meantime, we're sharing one of our favorites from the archive in case you missed it the first time around. Enjoy. And so I was thinking and looking through those three images and I thought, okay, you know what? Miles Davis, trumpet player, he reinvented himself several times throughout his career. And for me, he's the kind of ultimate innovator in music. He also gave a platform for many young musicians uh, to uh, join his band and, and learn and become a coach and give them guidance. For me, Miles Davis was the innovator there. And then if you think about uh, Sarah Vaughan, she's a singer. Well, if somebody can get into your soul by storytelling, then it is Sarah Vaughan. And so for me, that she represents that ultimate storytelling piece. And then Art Blakey is, is the drummer. And, and so he is, for me, representing uh, timing and, and rhythm. And what is more important in innovation than timing? Hi, everyone. I'm Amy. I'm Jamie, and this is Clever. Hey, before we get started, could we ask a favor? Could you give us a review and a rating on iTunes? It really helps increase Clever's visibility on Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, we'd love it if you subscribed too. Or you could go to our website for the link to review or to subscribe, or you can do it right from your phone. But don't do it while you're driving. Make sure you pull over. So now on with the show. Today, we are talking to Eric Quint, Chief Design Officer of 3M. You all know 3M is the maker of Post-it Notes, Scotch Tape, and Scotch Blue Painter's Tape. Also, sandpaper, spray glue, duct tape, safety glasses, dust masks, air filters, water filters, and scotch Bright sponges. And these are just a teeny tiny tip of the 3M iceberg. 3M is a science and technology innovation powerhouse that touches all facets of the built world. With 46 technology platforms ranging from adhesives and abrasives to ceramics and nanotechnology, and over 90,000 employees globally, 3M impacts industries like architecture and construction, aerospace, healthcare, transportation, school supplies, safety, and sports and recreation. Yeah, so it's a pretty big deal, right? Yeah, everywhere. (laughs) Anyway, it's also a big deal that as of 2013, they committed to the idea that design thinking is as essential to innovation and customer experience as the technology, research, and science that enables it by creating the position of CDO. Eric Quint joined 3M to fill this critical role following a long and distinguished career at Royal Phillips Electronics, where he evolved from designer to design leadership. We'll let him fill you in on the details because it's pretty fascinating. So let's talk to Eric. My name is Eric Quint. I'm living in Minneapolis and I am the chief design officer for 3M company. And so why, why, why this role? Because I'm very passionate about bringing design leadership to another level and drive design excellence for, uh, for large enterprises, which is, I think, a specialism that has, a, has still a long way to go. Yes, I love that that is your goal and your passion. And it's so important. Design leadership is such an important role that we don't talk about enough. <laughs> and so that's why we're talking to you. So thank you. But I want to go back to the beginning. I want to learn a little bit more about you. What was your family like? Where did you grow up? And, you know, what was your youth like? Yeah, so I grown up in the south of the Netherlands. So I'm I'm, I'm, I'm a Dutch boy here. (laughs) And I, yeah, I have a family with uh, three brothers. Both my parents are still alive, which is pretty unique. They are 93 and, and my mom is getting 90 soon. 
And so you can imagine that, well, particularly when I was young, <clears throat> my, uh, my dad, he was an economist at an uh, investment bank. And that was a, a bit of an inspiration for me as well, <clears throat> because he, he brought always these real life cases at home on, you know, entrepreneurship and the challenges that you have to drive innovation. And I remember at the kitchen table with the three brothers having discussions about all of that. And so uh, I think that inspired me partially to do what I do now. It's a fascinating world uh, to, to create, I think, and, and create new and create the unexpected. And so the, the learning from that is, is that if you, if you get that at the kitchen table, it starts to become a bit part of your thinking and your DNA. Yeah. And so I still every day have a lot of advantages uh, of all of this because it, it reminds me in big, complex decision making that I have in my job to go back to the, to the roots. And so that is very helpful. Just a quick side question here. Do you have a kitchen table in your current home that uh, functions in the same way? Well, actually, I have a kitchen table in my home. And, but also, I, when I created the new design center, I made sure that we have a 10 meter long kitchen table in the design center. <laughs> so in addition to the kitchen table, how did your creativity start to show up in your youth? How did you start expressing yourself? Yeah, so I um, I think it all starts with what is uh, referred to as curiosity. Mm. So it's just asking yourself the question of where things come from and how things work. And, and then that's the first part. The second part is then uh, go and explore. And, and I think go and explore with, with courage. Because uh, I can tell you in some of these explorations, things well, went completely wrong where you think you can take apart a particular product and feel confident that you can put it back again and then it doesn't work anymore. So, but all of that experimentation is, I think, giving you the learning of you know, doing it with courage and go and find out where the wonder comes from. And so I started to do that pretty early and I was always making and creating things with, you know, the Lego, of course, is a great example for everybody. But later I, I remembered you had, you had these first kits that you could build your own radio. Uh, and that was, I think, nine years or so, and I built my first radio. And then later I bu built my first guitar. I was probably just entering on high school. And so I was always creating things. And so I think, indeed, it is the interest in technology and later in, in art and music and, and driven by that curiosity and exploration and doing all of that with, with courage, I think, is, is what made me a designer. And I do think the, the Dutch society is very invested in design. I mean, there's a lot of wonderful programs and there's so much exposure all around you there versus other places in the world. And I, I think it's, it's an incredible experience to grow up somewhere that has such appreciation for design and the arts and invests so much money and so much energy in, you know, exposing youth to design. Yeah. I, I yeah, I, I think it comes down also to having a vision about that. Mm -hmm. And I think the country has a vision about yeah. it. And so if I look to it and I traveled a lot around the world, then there's only a few countries like, for instance, Singapore as well, that, that have a vision about how to drive society and innovation. And so for me, it comes down to aligning what you do in your departments of economic affairs, uh, education and, and culture and art. And, uh, and I think that is what the Dutch were doing, I think, maybe all, already 20, 30 years ago. And so you see the results where they have great designers, architects, musicians, fashion designers. Well, it's all in the creative, I would not say only creative economy. Of course it is, but also driving innovation. I think it is a recipe for driving innovation. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And then you, you ended up going to Design Academy Eindhoven, which is an, an excellent design school. So many great designers have come out of that program and, and you got a degree in mechanical or industrial designs. What was college like for you? Yeah, so actually, to be precise, I have a an, uh, an, uh, degree in mechanical and industrial engineering. Engineering. And so I, I'm, I'm an engineer of origin. And later I did the uh, industrial design course at the Design yeah. Academy. Oh, okay. And so this was a bit driven by me uh, being at college. And I had no clue what to do. You know, I had to make a choice. And then I was in music. I was in art. I was in technology, which was all nice things. 
And so I started to realize that maybe it's better not to make my profession from my, my most passionate hobby, which is music. And so I started to look for a job and a profession that was merging the technology and the, and the art side, which brought me to industrial design. And so I started first to do the serious part of all of this, and that is the mechanical engineering. And then later I had some struggle in, you know, fulfilling that course. And, and I was interested in industrial engineering, which is more about designing organizations. And so, so that I learned a lot and I use a lot nowadays as well. And, and then I went to the Academy of Art and, or the Academy in Eindhoven and did the course Industrial Design, which I loved. And I was able to do it in a very short time because of all my artwork that I did before and my mechanical engineering. So I was able to do it in, in three and a half years instead of five years. And yeah, I liked it very much because finally I could be in, in the field that I always dreamed of. And that was being that creator and that designer. And I remember that it felt like almost no effort to be in that, in that college time. Whilst uh, doing that mechanical engineering, that was a lot of hard work and effort. And although the, the number of hours that we were making as, uh, as uh, students in design were probably, you know, two times as much as we were doing in mechanical engineering because design never stopped. Mm-hmm. And so, so that, uh, the effort was a, a lot, but it didn't felt like that. And so that gave me a good feeling and, uh, and, and a confirmation that that is probably what I really like to do. And, and so I finished the academy and then uh, I started to, uh, to look for, for work. So after school, what kind of work were you looking for and what did you end up doing? Well, yeah, that's interesting. If you do the academy in Eindhoven and, mm-hmm. and nowadays in many colleges, you have a kind of an exhibition where you present your work and uh, not only for the graduation show, but also for, as, a, as an exhibition for that's a week up and running. And so I got interest of three different companies that were interested to offer me a job. And so one of them was Royal Phillips, Phillips Electronics at that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I never had any uh, idea to work at a, at a larger enterprise. I always thought you get you get lost in a, in a large enterprise as a, oh. as a young designer. Mm. Yeah, there is that impression. I was thinking, okay, well, you know, Philips was one of them that offered me a job, and then I had an uh, an office furniture company uh, and and a garden furniture company because one of my graduation projects was about furniture, office furniture, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, I was talking with all of them, and in the end, I thought, hmm, maybe it is a good idea to offer that, you know, great pool of talent of uh, Philips, because that design department there, and that function was already up and running since 1925, when it started. And uh, when I would agree to uh, start a job, I would join a team of probably 120 people that time, mm-hmm. that were from all over the world, designers, that uh, would give me a kind of a base for experimentation that that would give me a lot of learning and so uh, i decided because of all of that uh, because of the potential uh, to join uh, the company and, and and started my first job there well and you you started your first job there but you spent 20 years there or more as i understand yeah. in many different roles and capacities i'm really interested in what that path was like and how you went from being a designer to in design leadership yeah, so uh, starting in a job that you never expected, I also stayed longer than I ever expected <laughs> because, you know, every four or five years I get impatient and I think, okay, what next? And and so uh, you think, okay, I start a job for a couple of years and then we move on. And then, uh, but then you start to explore the enormous possibility of, of such an enterprise uh, in terms of different markets to work for, uh, different consumers, regional, uh, so global reach. So there's so, so much to learn that after five years, I started first as a designer for uh, business to business, so to, to do uh, electron microscopy and uh, test and measurement equipment and healthcare. And yeah, that was amazing to, uh, to, to learn what it is and, and how many stakeholders are involved in a discussion of making a good design for a business-to-business environment. Mm-hmm. That gave me interest uh, also to explore a lot of new things. I remember I got the opportunity to explore computer-aided design, which was at that time uh, not up and running. And so I was making my first designs on the computer and handing over files to the engineers and the model makers to, and the mold makers to, to do all the fabrication of it. And, and so that, that were all new areas uh, in uh, user interface design and interaction design 
you know, in that time, you could be a designer of everything. You, you were actually, uh, you were able to design the whole experience from uh, the on-screen graphics to the packaging, to the products, to the communications. And I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, so my philosophy started there already. That was in the mid-80s and managed, you know, a total brand experience across all touch points. And, uh, and the company allowed you to experiment in all of that. And, and that was, was great. And after five years of doing that, I started to, uh, to do consumer lighting. And then I started to uh, become a design manager in personal care. And uh, yeah, I, I remember that somebody asked me the other day, so what did you do uh, to get you on your career and where you are now? And I said, I have no idea. I, I, I just enjoyed, I enjoyed. So the question was as if it was an, an, a planned process, very carefully planned. And, you know, I'm an opportunist and I go with, uh, with progress. And, and so I, I jump on opportunities that I feel happy about. And, uh, and so I jumped on, on all of these opportunities. And uh, my answer was actually half of the roles that I got, I created my South. Ah, that's so, that's design thinking at its best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so you get that opportunity, and you see things around you, and you think, hmm, uh, that was maybe my industrial engineering background. If we start to organize things differently, then we can be more powerful. And so, you realize, and that's one of the lessons that I learned, is that as a designer, you can have great ideas, mm-hmm. but there's a challenge. The challenge is to get, get it through the system. And commercialize it in the end to the end so that the the, the products really hit the market and, and, and are used by users in big quantities. But the other thing is that you start to see at a certain moment in time that you start to influence and impact, say, innovation and development processes. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, you only have 24 hours in a day. So in order to amplify that impact and influence, you have to start to uh, to think differently about your role. And so that's where leadership automatically came in because you start to ask for another person next to you and then you have suddenly a year later four people working for you and then you know, before you know you, you got 100 people working for you and then so that's how uh, the, so the mechanism is not career so much that is driving it but it is more uh, impact and influence and, how, and what are the mechanisms that you can use to uh, to collaborate in teams to amplify the the impact that you can have and and so that brought me to to leadership roles and, and so from there, I, I, I did many different leadership roles and global leadership roles. So. I, I'm so happy to hear you break it down like that for us. I, I do think that once you start to, as a designer, once you start to take everything apart and tinker with it, you can't help but want to affect the system itself. And then once you figure out how to tinker with the system, then yeah, you start to understand that the system exists in an even bigger system. And that's the system you, you mentioned of innovation and development. And as one person, you start to have to amplify that. And that makes perfect sense. And your trajectory to leadership seems so clear now, but I still want to wrap my head around. So in 2013, you joined 3M as chief design officer and I'm a huge 3M nerd. Like I get very excited about space age polymers and nanotechnology and, <laughs> and, and all of this stuff. I've actually visited the campus and it's definitely my most geek-tastic day ever. I loved it. Mm-hmm. But it's an enormous role. I mean, 3M is a huge company. And I wonder if you can help us, like in layman's terms, help us wrap our heads around just what that means for an innovation powerhouse like 3M. What is a chief design officer yeah, so if you look to how my role is defined, then it's uh, in fact driving uh, design and creativity for the company globally and, and make sure that we manage multidisciplinary teams and strengthen our innovation and brand experiences around the world. Well, that's one sentence. And, uh, and that's a huge task in a company that is, uh, you know, more than 90,000 people. 70 countries, five business groups, 24 divisions, and then they have 46 technology platforms. But luckily there's one common link here, and that is the one curious culture that the company has. And so that brings me back to my youth again, where I feel that connection going on. And so if you, if you think about all of that, uh, and all, 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 on all these high complex uh, tasks, it is actually the challenges to bring it back to simple things. Mm. And so what I did when I came on board, I realized that this is a heavy science technology company 
And so one side of the brain is overdeveloped. And there's my, me and the designers come in and bring the other side of the brain and, and uh, try to get a, a collaboration going and bring um, new thinking. Mm-hmm. Because for me, technology is an enabler. And so design is there to uh, help to apply that technology in a meaningful uh, way. And, and so uh, yes. that's what designers do. And so if you think about that, then uh, what I started to do is first to create an, a vision, a clear vision. And that vision was helpful because I look at the vision as being the lighthouse. It, it helps you to understand where to go on the longer term. But then uh, you can be very good in describing your lighthouse vision, but uh, you have to break it down in in, in steps uh, and make a roadmap how to get there. And so actually what I did is I applied design thinking to my role. Everything I have done is, is applying design thinking. So understanding who are my stakeholders, understanding what the, the complexity of the problem is and the, and the opportunities are. And then all of that uh, gives you input, the discussions with many people, to, uh, to give you a kind of a roadmap and approach of how to tackle this in a highly complex environment uh, where we have all of these people and businesses and markets that we work for and, and geographies. And so, yeah, design thinking is the, is the key. And, and, and so when I started to reflect on that, I started to realize that, uh, you know, actually going back to my youth, uh, it seems I have that kind of, design thinking DNA that I uh, apply all over the place, whether it is to me and my personal challenges that I now and then have, or uh, whether you can, it is on a job and doing a uh, design project, or whether it is uh, the design of an organization like I do now. And I'm also involved in, uh, in, in designing and helping to apply design thinking in uh, community enterprises, uh, which is more the city, and, uh, and you can even go bigger. I, I posted once a question as uh, like who who will be the the next and the first chief design officer on country level, which is a minister probably somewhere. But uh, I think mm. that kind of thinking is I think valuable in many different places, nonprofit, profit, community. But it is also you can scale it up from very close to yourself on personal level to very big uh, world topics. Definitely. And since you've been with 3M, you've done quite a bit. You oversaw the implementation of a new corporate identity. And now 3M has a brand new design center, which I hear is very exciting and awesome. And we'd love to come visit. (laughs) So, (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I would love to hear about what you're focused on now. But actually, before we do that, can you just talk a little bit about the new corporate identity and the design center and how you were involved in that. And then tell us a little bit more about what you're doing now. Yeah. So if you think about uh, me uh, being in that role, I see a lot of challenge with many other leaders in putting design on the agenda in an appropriate way. And so I Mm -hmm. use what I refer to as the three A's, which is the A of awareness, uh, appreciation and ambassador. So you can have an expectation that you have uh, and you want to create, of course, excitement with your colleagues across the organization. But, you know, you cannot expect them being an ambassador if they do not appreciate what you do. And they cannot appreciate what you do Ah. if they don't have any awareness of what you do. And so Ah. it all starts where I see a lot of designers go wrong. They are uh, they are having high expectations on that ambassadorship. But uh, they would totally forget about uh, explaining what design is about or what, what design is doing and how design can create value and how we can collaborate together. So the theme that I introduced was uh, referred to as uh, collaborative creativity, because that's, for me, equal to design thinking. Design thinking is solving uh, things together, complex things together, take people and users as the, as the center for uh, creating the insights that is driving you to the best solutions. And you, you run it in a very creative way. And uh, of course, you use a lot of post-it notes uh, uh, by doing all of that. <laughs> well, I'm sure those are very abundant in your office. <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> but anyhow, so you, you, you are in that, in that role and uh, you are uh, driving all of that. And then so you look to your roadmap and you come into the company and you have a few observations about how fragmented the company is in, in terms of their brand and how many opportunity we have there. And so uh, all these things that I have done so far are all things that are, are uh, contributing to the longer vision. So that means that it, it was a great opportunity that the company created a new vision with the new 
CEO that we got that started a year before I started. And that new vision was great. It was talking about improving people's lives more or less and using our technologies and products and innovation to do that. But, you know, you can have that great vision, but it is also important that you link that vision to a brand platform and to an identity. And so if you are able to do that, then uh, our own colleagues can better internalize all of that and can really act on it. Mm-hmm. So I had a great collaboration with the chief marketing officers and we work, worked together as almost two partners in crime here to, uh, to create that uh, new brand platform, which was the science applied to life. And, uh, and then we created an, an, a visual system around it. And that was for me a great opportunity to show to a global organization the impact of design, because when that was launched, the impact was all over the world because we created uh, guidelines and frameworks and did uh, training sessions. And that was a great opportunity to, uh, to put uh, the design function out there and, and show the impact. And, um, and that was a measurable impact as well. I remember we, uh, we did the first year introduction and then uh, Interbrand was uh, ranking us. And uh, we went, I think, in that year, one billion up in our brand equity. Uh, just because of the fact that we were managing our, let's say, brand more thoughtful. And they wrote a great article about it uh, because we were then uh, the one of the top 10 risers in the, in the ranking. And, uh, and so they were writing a story about that and said, hey, what all of these great companies have in mind, uh, the top 10 on the list, as well as the, the ones that are, are, are rising so far, so, so fast, is that they put design at the center of their of their strategy. And uh, it is not about design as, as aesthetics, but it is design as a strategy. Yeah. And so I'm a big, big I'm, I'm big on that. It is not on the aesthetics. You know, designers, that's implicit. Uh, get over it. We can make beautiful things. <laughs> but it's all about, it's all about the strategy. Uh, yes. So it's, 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 uh, so what, what and how can we strategize design to create the best value for our customers as well as for us as a company as well. And, and so, we were in that in that kind of momentum and then we were growing the team because when I came on board we had maybe 20 25 people and we have now 140 people and uh, and they needed to have a place and so I was talking to the company and say hey uh, you know scientists need laboratories and uh, you know administrative people need offices but uh, designers need a, a design house a studio and so I started to work with an architect and actually started to design this uh, design center ourselves. And, and this is actually a, a design center made for our designers and made by our designers under my uh, you know, direction. And to have that collaborative creative space that we can use to, uh, to do the job that we need to do. And so, so that design center is opened uh, in 2016, halfway the year, and it took us nine months to build. And it, it became a kind of a new standard for, for working and also interior experience for the company. And so the rest of the building is now uh, remodeled as well. And, and a lot of the, well, well, I can tell you, the long kitchen table yes. uh, shows up in every floor. Every floor <laughs> and so, uh, I love it. So that's what I, they liked it so much. They asked me to do all of the interior design. And I said, well, you know what? I'm not the chief interior designer here. I'm the chief designer. <laughs> But I'm happy if I uh, if the work that we have done is is, is inspiring you guys to uh, to do what we what we need to do. So yeah, so this is a bit of the of the projects that we're doing, and and my focus now is a lot on scaling our global team. So last year we opened a design studio in Tokyo. Uh, we're opening now one soon in India, and and later the year in in China. So we are. We are expanding the team dramatically, and, and that is also to, of course, to work together with our strategy colleagues, business colleagues, and marketing colleagues to even make better products, uh, prepare ourselves for the future. So that's a very exciting journey, and it's very much appreciated because, again, I'm driven by progress, and, and so if you look over your shoulder, uh, you see the progress that we have made, yeah. and that is very rewarding. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. 
Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Clever is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. A recent episode took Brad to Venice, where he connected with Eve Ubelman, a partner whose company, Econem, has developed a game-changing technique for creating digital architectural models so comprehensive they've been dubbed twins. During the relative quiet of the pandemic, Eve and his team used drone-captured photography and powerful AI to create a full-scale digital twin of Venice, a city threatened by climate change and over-tourism. On Tools and Weapons, Eve tells Brad how he's using this incredible technology to help preserve some of the world's most endangered cultural heritage sites in pristine detail so they can be studied and appreciated for generations to come. To stay current on some of the most innovative people working with AI today, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Clever listeners, we're getting excited for New York Design Week in May. This year will be better than ever. ICFF, North America's leading platform for contemporary design, will take place from May 19th to the 21st at the Javits Center in New York City. I'll be there, and I'm excited to let you know how Clever is collaborating with ICFF for Launchpad at Wanted, formerly known as Wanted Design Manhattan, and the Emerging Designer Showcase. Launchpad is an international platform for emerging designers that introduces new concepts and showcases prototypes of furniture, home accessories, and lighting. It is the best place for manufacturers to meet new designers, discover fresh ideas, and potential products to develop. The best of Launchpad winners will be selected by a jury of renowned industry professionals, led by yours truly. And they will go on to be featured in another edition of the popular Emerging Designers Showcase. I'll be leading the Emerging Designers Showcase live on the talk's main stage, where the five Launchpad finalists will have a chance to present their projects to our esteemed panel of professionals. It's always a really good time. So mark your calendars for Sunday, May 19th at 4 p.m. Both Launchpad and the Emerging Designer Showcase are presented with media partners Clever, that's us, and Design Milk, and with support from American Standard and Lumens. Visit icff.com to learn more and register to attend. Those are the letters icff.com. Come by and say hi. I would love to see you there. Support for Clever comes from Wix Studio. Instead of reading you another, let's be honest, boring ad script, Wix Studio just sent me this wild-looking Alice in Wonderland-themed website to scroll through and tell you about. So, whoa. This is not the web I'm used to. There's something called Mouse Parallax, which makes it feel like you can go deeper into the screen. And as I scroll down, it's like I'm falling down the rabbit hole. And things are moving in depth and perspective. Even my cursor has morphed into a glowing little orb. There are all these no-code animations that make this place feel organic and alive. And Alice is wearing some pretty cool shoes, by the way. Okay, I know I'm mixing up my narratives now, but we are definitely not in Kansas anymore. Your turn to go down the rabbit hole. Build your next web project on Wix Studio, the platform for agencies and enterprises. You must be addicted to being at the front edge of progress. Well, I am. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why, because it's painful now and then as well. Yes. Uh, because you have all of these, yet another great idea uh, or, or not, but, but at least you, you dive into it. And it's a bit like if you have great ideas, they are per definition a disturbance of what the status quo is. Correct. And so it comes always with a lot of painful discussions. Because one way or another, designers are masters in bringing other people out of their comfort zone. And so one of my philosophies is that I think the designers themselves should be a bit more trained in bringing themselves out of their comfort mm. zone mm. And, and using themselves a bit more the empathy that they are gifted with 
in order to be more effective in uh, driving design and creativity in large organizations. Because this is not a job for a pop star designer. Uh, this is a job where you are able to make the right connections, engage with the right people, uh, be very patient and lead by example on creativity. And so, so yeah, I, I, I love to talk about this because you see there's a lot of attention given to designers that do these create artistic things. Uh, I like that aesthetically very much, high, high quality there. Mm-hmm. But if you look to the impact, it's, it's very much on impacting the dialogue than impacting through solutions that really hit the marketplace. And so I think there are these hundreds of designers in big companies that nobody knows about it, uh, about them. They are anonymous and they do all of their great work. And so I'm very passionate about that and, and talk about that. Yeah, well, we're very passionate about talking about it too. And I'm, I'm really happy that you said that you have to have a lot of painful discussions at that front edge of progress because you're disrupting the status quo, but it's how you help bring people aboard, help them create awareness, appreciation, and become ambassadors. So it sounds like you're advocating for all designers to become also better communicators, and they're already gifted with empathy. It sounds like you also apply your patience in a really meaningful way. Do you have any other tips, communication tips that we can take in order to become better designers and leaders? Yeah, so for me, it's all about transformational leadership in the end. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So again, having great ideas is, is great, but we have tons of ideas. It is all about getting people behind your idea in order to realize it and make it successful. And so, yeah, well, in big companies, I see a tendency that they try to have the conversation through Excel sheets, PowerPoint sheets, and numbers. Mm. And that's not my way of doing it. But if you think about the design center, you know, of course, I have, we have done our homework, we know the benchmark, we have some figures, but that's not what it is about. It's, uh, for me, it's all about going in there with a vision, having a vision first. Secondly, your storytelling. You have to put things into context. Your storytelling is uh, helping you to help other people to understand what, you, what your vision is about. So you have to help them to make the connect. Yeah. And then I think the passion, the passion is what, what is important as well. So it is the storytelling and the passion that can inspire people to, to come along with you in your, in your thinking. And if you then implicitly, because that's for me implicit, have some numbers to back it up, yeah. that's great. Yeah. So I remember when I was talking with the operating committee about my plan, uh, I shared my strategy and my vision here, and I started to talk about how the space could look like. But when we had the dialogue uh, and we finished up, I uh, handed over a fake New York Times article that I, I just dreamed up. <laughs> and I designed like a New York Times article. And it was all me talking about my vision about how that creative center could fit in the total of the company and what my vision was about. And so later they told me they never had experienced ever anything like that. And that was another inspiration for them to get information about my my vision and uh, where I wanted to take the company going forward on creativity and design. That is so fascinating because it was storytelling, but it was also that you created an experience for them so they could engage their senses and their imagination in order to realize your vision. I also love that you said passion because I'm a firm believer that that passion can't really be faked and it's totally contagious. It's more contagious than almost anything. And if you're able to communicate your vision with passion, and I don't mean theatrics, I just mean with that internal Authentic. flame burning, then people are more inclined to listen and more inclined to feel your passion. It's a, it's an intangible that's it's what you say creating the experience yeah Mm -hmm. yes we do it all the time on behalf of our customers but if we would apply it to ourselves like the empathy to connect with our colleagues in a different way and use the storytelling to inspire and be authentic in your passion then that is i think the cherry on the cake that said you need to have your numbers anyhow there And, and i think what i see designers do too often is they, they start to try to connect by imitating and copying the behavior of their business people. Yeah. And, and that's not good because they lose all uh, the, the, the essence of what a designer is about. So don't try to connect by being the same as the partners that you want to connect with. 
try to be authentic, try to be uh, solid on, on what a designer is about and what not, uh, and then bring it with passion and inspiration and the good storytelling. You make it sound so easy. Yeah. <laughs> well, I practiced a couple of years. Yeah. So. I, I kind of want to learn a little bit more about you. I mean, you, you do so much at work, but you know, you're, you're a creative person and, and you've always been an appreciator of the arts and of music, but you're also a musician. So I, I would mm-hmm. love to know more about what, what do you love about music and how does it stimulate you not only creatively but just how does it feed your soul as a human well there's a few uh, you know dimensions to music that are amazing i think we talk in design so much about creating ultimate experiences brand experiences i think the best experiences that we can learn from is the one from the theater entertainment industry Mm -hmm. because they they are able to bring in experiences that really touches people's hearts and and you know the tears come up and you get passionate about things and you you create your heroes you know the ones that uh, singers or artists that you admire and i think that's what uh, the inspiration is for me uh, from the entertainment industry but particularly uh, music the other one is i talk a lot about uh, collaboration uh, and creativity and if you think about playing in a band I like the fact of real-time creativity. In design, we don't have enough real-time creativity. So this is where I like the improvisation. Mm. And mm. I think improvisation is a great way to uh, educate yourself and train yourself. And so it's, it's your, your gymnastics of, of the creativity on the spot. Yeah. You know, in a band, if you're on, on, on the stage, you, you, you have to listen to each other and have an, uh, the empathy you have to have uh, anticipating the interaction that is going on with the audience and amongst the band members. And uh, you have that real, if it is about jazz, uh, it is about the improvisation where you have to be creative on the spot. And so I love all of that. So real time creativity is my gymnastics for uh, the creativity that I apply into, into my job. And it is the ultimate experience. When I say did the interior for my office, I uh, had an opportunity to go into the art collection of, of 3M. So they have a huge art collection. And uh, so they allow me to go in there and select it for the studio, which is a 40,000 square foot studio, a lot of pieces of art, beautiful. And then I bumped into those three photographs of jazz musicians. And I thought, it can't be the case. This is almost, you know, serendipity. Yeah. I put them all three, all three in my office and then I had a kind of a reflection there. And the three photos are from uh, Miles Davis, Sarah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Vaughan, and uh, Art Blakey. Mm. And so I was thinking and looking through those three images, and I thought, okay, you know what? Miles Davis, trumpet player, he reinvented himself several times uh, throughout his career. And for me, he's the kind of ultimate innovator in music. He also gave a platform for many young musicians uh, to uh, join his band and, and learn and become a coach and give them guidance. For me, Miles Davis was the innovator there. And then if you think about uh, Sarah Vaughan, she's a singer. Well, if somebody can get into your soul by storytelling, then it is Sarah Vaughan. And so for me, that she represents that ultimate storytelling piece. And then Art Blakey is, is the drummer. And, and so he is, for me, representing uh, timing and, and rhythm. And what is more important in innovation than timing? Right. And so I was sitting and reflecting on this, and I thought, okay, those three images, they reflect uh, and, and, and summarize what more or less my passion and life is. And, and so that is those three, uh, three images. And that was so amazing. Uh, so music means a lot for me. Do you play instruments yourself as well? Yes, yes. I, I, I play guitar. And not enough. Uh, I'm very busy, but yeah, the guitar is my instrument. Nice, nice. What kind of music do you typically like to play? Is it rock or? It's all, uh, it is jazz, jazz. improvised. Ah. It is, uh, uh, it's, uh, I'm doing uh, improvisation already since I was a young kid, mm. 17, I never was really in a band. I always, always was a guest in a band and played all my way around. I, I couldn't stick to one band. It was too limiting for me. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so I like uh, Brazilian jazz music, Hot Club de France. Uh, it's all improvisation. Wow. 
Yeah, that's so that's okay. interesting. When I was a couple of days in the company, they asked me a question that was a broadcasted interview, and they asked me the question about my music, and I said, "Well, you know, I'm a jazz guy, and maybe it's also reflected in my leadership style." And so the way I look at it, you can have a sheet of music, and you can be asked in a symphony orchestra to play every single note in the, and interpret it in the best way emotionally, which is a, a tough job, but uh, but not my job. And so I said, well, uh, I'd rather give my team uh, the key of the music and the rhythm in order for them to flourish instead of giving them a sheet of music and ask them to play every note. So that's a bit the way I look at what music means for me and how I bring music forward to, to my team. And I use a lot of um, music stories in explaining uh, what we need to do in design as well. I love that analogy. Just giving people the tools that they need to be creative and be, still be who they are. Yeah. But use their own skill set to improvise. Yeah, you, you're not utilizing your talent to its highest potential if you're telling them what to do. The way you're getting the most out of them is giving them the space to improvise and giving them the support and the, the tools to do that, but also the encouragement and and the collaborators and the, the culture of of the improvisational atmosphere. Well, that's the essence of innovation, I think, and driving innovation and creativity. Because, you know, with the experiment and and the improvisation, uh, you run the risk that you go completely wrong. Mm -hmm. So in an innovative culture, you allow uh, people to make mistakes and learn from it. And that's everything that is linked to design thinking as well, is design thinking is do quick exercises, bring it back to your customer and learn from it, and then uh, and maybe you will have a failure. And so I remember when I started to talk with uh, the senior management here, when I just came in, I said, well, you know, if I can help with my design team uh, to get involved early on in, in uh, projects, and we can come up with the right arguments to stop new initiatives, we create a hell of a lot of value for the company. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you yeah, and so the way I look at insights is people insights and doing research uh, in order to support the design process. Insights are so often used to uh, to to uh, stimulate the new and the new ideas. And I th- I say no 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 no. We use insights to make thoughtful decisions and be conscious about what we are not going to do. That's the value of insights, even more than helping you on the new and the upside of things. And so that's one of the challenges, I think, in many big enterprises, because we have so many options and there is so much talent around and opportunity that we have to come up with a a discipline and a mechanism that helps us to stay on track. And so insights is is a way to do that. So I want to ask you a question that applies to culture at large, to society in general. Since you have demonstrated and illustrated so clearly how design thinking can impact every stage, how can we as a society use design thinking to encourage more inclusivity in the pipeline of future design leadership? So not necessarily at 3M, but just in the culture at large. You can imagine if you have been through a lot of different roles and end up at a large role that I have now, then you start to think about what next in terms of where are the next leaders in design and uh, how can we help them to become even better in a society that is getting more complex even. Mm-hmm. Managing that complexity and helping young people to share your experiences is one of my motivators to do a lot of keynote speeches and publicizing about things because I think it is so enormous important that we start to prepare the next generation of design leaders to do even a bigger job than what we have been able to do. Mm-hmm. And so I do a lot of that work in my work to the Design Management Institute, but also in society, you know, having a dialogue on how design can be linked to a community enterprise. I was talking before on the projects we do with the, the city of Minneapolis, where I remember with the director of arts and creative economy, I was once giving a keynote on uh, you know, driving creativity and design in a business enterprise, like I do, in comparison to a community enterprise. And then you see that the dynamics on community level is completely different because decision-making there is, is dri- driven by politics and by tax investment. And so it's another mechanism, but the principles are pretty similar. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a strong believer that, uh, you know, if the audience for a company 
is is customers. An audience for a city or a country is citizens. And by coincidence, they're all the same people because those people, you know, they use products as well. And so customers are citizens, true. (laughs) And and the other way around. And so what you and what you see is that uh, I, I think you uh, you can use the principles of design thinking and design leadership and uh, in in all of these uh, circumstances to make a better world in the end. So speaking of a better world in the end, just hypothetically speaking, I, I want to just kind of fantasize with you for a second because you do have such a magical brain. If you were to take your wildest idealism and focus it like a magic laser beam onto a single issue that's affecting the world, what one thing would you solve so that future generations just don't even have to deal with it? Yeah, that's a difficult one, but I would refer to scarce sources like water and air and food and energy. So if you think about circular economy and sustainability, these are all big topics. And so I think if designers can help to be more thoughtful in uh, using or reusing our sources, that would be, would be great. And I think that is one of the, the major tasks of future designers and young designers. I think you see a lot of passion with young designers about that as well, because they are pretty aware of, of all of this. Mm-hmm. And so there, there's not uh, unlimited availability of all of that. And so I think uh, that would be great if, if designers can contribute to that. The other thing is, I think, if you think about how to contribute to it, another passion I have is diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. So the only way to be effective is, in my opinion, to be inclusive. And so make sure that if you work on these big world challenges, that we do it in an inclusive way and with a lot of diversity thinking in there so that we make sure that we're not getting too limited on our solutions, but start to think big in getting the solutions tackled in the right way. Because it's not the real solutions we are not going to to solve in little single corners around the world. This, these are these challenges ask for community and, and multicultural approaches that hopefully give the right answers. You're going to have to build a kitchen table that's like 60 miles long. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Food, food connect. So that's always a great way to yeah, connect with people. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm interested to know what's coming up that you're really excited about that you can actually talk about. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited about one project, which is a big project. And that is what I call our innovation centers. So go back to uh, the new brand platform that we introduced in 2015, which is called Science Applied to Life. And so if you think about science, that's what we are as a company for more than 100 years. And so we have really best-in-class scientists and, uh, and an R&D community. Uh, if you think about life, then we have great innovation centers where we connect day in, day out. We have actually 55 design uh, innovation centers that are connecting with our customers in the field every day. And then if you think about the applied to, I mentioned already before, the design center and designers are the ones that are connecting the great technologies with the life part with people. And so I'm very excited about the innovation centers because when I came in, my observation was they were sure not on brand because we didn't have any global corporate identity. And there was a lot of different storytelling going on. And so I started a project where I came up with an idea where I said, well, maybe it should be less sharing the scale of our things that, that are our products and, and focus more on the scale of our thinking because we have 91,000 bright minds in the company and they can help our customers and our consumers to do better, a better job and, and, and improve things. And so the, we are going to open soon, at the end of this month, a new customer innovation center that is based on that new uh, principle and is, is a great space where we can bring 3M to the world and, and the world to 3M in order to have the dialogue about how we can collaborate and improve lives uh, around the world. And so that concept is a blueprint 
for many of them to follow. And I always said, you know, if you are a global company, let's make sure that we tell our story in a consistent and a high quality way. And so that innovation center for me is a representation of a new way talking about our company. Where we, where we do not start with the technologies. Again, these are the enablers. It starts with the mega trends and the world challenges that we have and the challenges of our customers that we have in order then to collaborate and use all of that brain power and the solutions that we have to progress. And, and so I'm very excited about that project. So these innovation centers are open to the trade, to the, to the public, to, uh, yeah. for inter-collaboration? Yeah, so the, How the can idea, I go? I need to go. Yeah, <laughs> How so, do I get there? <laughs> I can always arrange something for you guys. But yeah, so the, the, the idea is that we engage with our customers. And I don't know, the 3M is a 85% B2B company. So we deliver great technology solutions for customers that have then a consumer base in automotive or mobile telephony or in healthcare, industrial, in many different segments. And so mm-hmm. they, they are welcome and visiting us. And the idea is then that after the, the tour, we have a great conversations with them to listen in to what keeps them awake at night and, and how we can help them with all of the knowledge that we have. We also, of course, open it up for educational institutes and for not for the public per se, because that would be not very manageable. But yeah, we, we, we try to also use these innovation centers to drive diversity in STEM. And, and to get school kids over in order to make them enthusiastic about what technology and science is about and for them to learn what you can do with that. I, I don't know whether you realize there's a saying about 3M that within an, a radius of 10 feet in the developed world, you always will touch uh, 3M technology. Oh, I believe it. I believe it. Oh, yeah. Oh, and I wish I had been able to go to an innovation center as a kid and I wish I had gone to space camp, but that's another issue. Um, <laughs> I like but, that. But I have, to, I have to tell you a personal story, and I know you have to go, so I'll make it really fast. But I was, as a maker and a manufacturer, I was in a position where I was inventing a new piece of furniture with HDPE, which is high-density polyethylene, and low-density polyethylene. They're both polyolefins. They're you know designed to be very friction-reducing, and therefore they're self-lubricating and adhesive-resistant but I needed to glue them and I was able to find an adhesive rep from 3M. And of course you guys have an adhesive just for polyolefins. And it was such a structural bond that I was able to fold low density polyethylene into a chair bucket and glue it together. And it's so exciting. Yeah, it is. Well, it, it is uh, indeed all of these solutions. We, if it works, you don't talk about it anymore. You take it as, an, uh, as, a, as a given. But behind all of that, there's a lot of scientific and invention time and exploration going into it. And I think that's the power of what 3M is about. For every challenge, we, one way or another, we can bring the right people together. And we have over 46 technology platforms uh, that we can tap into. Yeah, across all of these industries, we have so many great uh, solutions. Uh, And therefore, if you think about a designer, one of the reasons I I joined the company is because of the huge potential of the company. And if you think about that, you know, there's, we work for so many different countries, 70. We work for more than 24 divisions that are all different uh, industry categories. And then we have those 46 technology platforms. This is, this is uh, you know, like Walt Disney for, for designers because endless exploration and journeys and adventure. And so that's the, 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 a great place to be in. I absolutely agree with you. It's like Walt Disney for designers. And if you install a webcam in those innovation centers, I won't be able to do anything else. I'll just <laughs> to that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> I'll watch it all day long. It'll be better than like puppy cam. Uh-huh. Can you tell our listeners where they can learn more about you personally and about the work you're doing at 3M on the web and social media? Yes, of course, we have our company channels on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. So that's on 3M company level. And then on design, we have our website that is 3M.com slash design. We have our Twitter at 3M design if you want to see what we do. And then myself, I'm on LinkedIn and, uh, and there's a lot of things out there on the internet on uh, me sharing my thoughts and stimulating the dialogue on the, on the what next on leadership in design. 
Well, I want to thank you wholeheartedly for this stimulating dialogue. This has been really, really fascinating yes. and inspiring. And I am going to go nerd out with some of my <laughs> <laughs> my abrasives and adhesives and my safety gear. <laughs> this sounds great to me. So it, it was a pleasure to be talking with you guys. And I really yeah, think it's fun and it's, I really appreciate to, to use a platform like this to share thoughts across the creative industry and inspire. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you've done just that. So thank you so much. Thank, thank you. Very you. Much. Thank you. Holy fuck, Jamie. <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm totally spazzing out right now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, you like so I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited. You're so excited about adhesives. I've never heard anybody talk about adhesives the way that you talk about them. Well, it's not even that I'm like a glue, like I'm sniffing glue all day. It's just that I was so excited that I found a solution to make something that didn't exist before. And 3M was able to support me in finding that solution. Mm -hmm. And then also they had already, you know, been doing the science that created the solution that led to my solution. Mm -hmm. And honestly, he's he's when he said you can't. When you talked about 3M products being within a 10, what do you say, 10 foot radius? Mm-hmm. When you think about anything that's man-made, the reflective lettering on your street signs, it's the abrasives that were used to make your countertop, it's the safety gear the countertop contractor wore to prevent breathing in the particulate, it's the glazing on your windows, it's the film that keeps, what are those, ultraviolet light out, mm-hmm. it's, it's the adhesives that are holding skyscrapers rocket ships and airplanes together yeah it's this like unseen thing and a lot of times it's you don't even know it's there or it's underappreciated but then when you really do need to look for a solution and it's already there or they're developing it you're you feel a sense of relief that like somebody is there still pushing forward even for the things that aren't instantly noticeable or immediately life-changing yes and and i have asthma so they in a very real way have helped me be a a maker which is really by its very nature hard on your respiratory system but i have so much confidence in the 3M respirators and and particulate masks that I can live and work and maintain my own health condition. I don't know. I'm getting like super TMI. But anyway. Um, <laughs> no, but it does. It makes I, a big difference. It really does. Yeah. It makes a huge difference. And and I have confidence in those in that science that's backing it up. But But more than anything, I thought what Eric Quint just did for us is he gave us that storytelling language that we all need to help wrap our heads around how design can really impact at the DNA level. Like when he talked about those three jazz Mm -hmm. musicians and broke it down to like innovation and mentorship to Sarah Vaughn being the storyteller who gets inside your soul to Art Blakey with the rhythm and the timing. I was like, yes, mm-hmm. okay, now this is something everyone can understand. Mm-hmm. And that passion was there too because I clearly got a little infected. Yeah, I, I liked his three A's, the awareness, yes. appreciation, and ambassador. I, I was so excited when he said that because I immediately thought about like motivational posters. <laughs> And that those three motivational posters should be in every office. But I I agree. Like when, you know, when you have people working with you or for you and they're not fully understanding what they're doing or why they're doing it, or they don't know what you're doing, Mm -hmm. they really can't go out into the world and be that ambassador. And they can't fully appreciate what they're doing and the role that they're playing in this whole thing. So like, communication is incredibly important in leadership. And I think he broke it down in a way that was very easy to understand. And it it seems so simple, but like when you're in it every day, sometimes it's really hard to like make sure everybody knows what's going on and like why you're doing what you're doing and the effects of what you're doing on, on life 
and the future. And I, I think it's really important to make sure that you don't lose that when you are leading a group of people down a path. They need to know like yes. what's going on and why they're doing it and what the left hand and right hand are doing. And yeah. Yeah. And what the, what the motivation is for you. I, I felt that that frustration. So it's, it's one thing to come up with an entirely new vision and then it's it's a completely new thing to try and communicate that vision to someone else. When it's still new, it's unfounded, it's, it hasn't been tested and proven, and therefore you can't really defend it or justify it. And as designers, I know that we, you know, the, the critique process is a very important aspect of education in terms of being able to communicate your idea and receive feedback. But I don't think anybody explained it to me so clearly that... It's not your job just to come up with the vision. It's your job to help get everybody on board with that vision. Like you really do have to educate everybody. And that education is a big part of the design process. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. And I think once you know more, you can kind of see your place in the ecosystem and, and see your value in the process and appreciate that and also appreciate everybody else who's working on the project with you. Okay, I'm going to get a coffee mug with (laughs) with the three A's on it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you so much for listening, you guys. And again, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And go to cleverpodcast.com to sign up for our newsletter, read the show notes, and find out more about Eric's work. You can also connect with us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Clever Podcast. We always love hearing from you guys. This episode of Clever was edited by Ty Navaris and Alex Perez with music by L1011. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.